hey, you've caught up with the Dusty Muffins, and we're <laughs> two Dusty Muffins, a couple of Dusty Muffins. I'm here with my compatriot, Julie Blacklow. I'm Penny Legate. How you doing, Julie? I'm great. You're excited about, well, we're always excited about I'm our guests. I'm excited but- about all our guests, but this woman is very, very special human being. And I want to get your name right, Jacintha. Am I saying it right? Jacintha, yes. Jacintha. So I'm originally from the Netherlands, right? Born and right. raised. Um, so in Dutch, it would be Jacintha. Yes, oh, it's um, beautiful. But okay. yes. because I live here now, and that seems to be impossible to pronounce for everyone. Now it's just Jacintha. Jacintha. Jacintha Syed. There you go. Is our guest today. She says she was born in, in the Netherlands, but she's lived in West Africa and ended up to our great fortune in Bellevue, Washington. Jacinta, just by way of a little background, began her career in the corporate world, very much in the corporate world, which I was surprised to learn, and then ended up in Bellevue, Washington, and took a couple years off to raise her family and started being a foster mom to dogs. (laughs) I, I really get emotional about this because Jacinta is the head of this great organization, Saving Great Animals. And she is responsible for saving and rehoming the lives of 10,000 or more dogs. Jacintha, welcome. Yes. Thank you. What a lovely introduction. I'm fascinated by how this transition occurred. You brought your corporate skills to organizing your dog saving company. Yeah, tell us that story. I mean, somehow life happens, right? And then somehow your path just becomes the path that you were meant to be on. And I feel like when I joined Saving Great Animals, I suddenly realized this is the path I'm meant to be on because I can combine all of my passion, all of my skills and make it something great. And that's worked out really well. And so here we are today. (laughs) So what did you see in the organization you know, you like like Julie said, you were in lots of different corporate jobs and mm-hmm. moved to Seattle, raised your family, and then started working with a rescue. Mm-hmm. So, what did you see that needed work that you could that you could improve? So, what I saw and still see with some rescues is people who care about animals and who want to rescue animals. Their passion is doing exactly that. And they are driven with their heart and their compassion and their empathy. And they go a mile a minute to rescue as many dogs as possible. Sometimes you need to also be able to step away from just feeling passionate and realizing that you need certain processes in place to make sure that things happen correctly ethically, financially responsible, with good service to the dogs and the people that you work with. And so when I first started with Saving Great Animals, I felt like a lot of those pieces were missing. I don't want to speak poorly of of Saving Great Animals in, (laughs) in in its very early stages because they were already doing amazing work. But there were some gaps there where I thought, you know, if you're going to run a rescue, you have to approach it kind of like a business. It has to be run well. You have to have the organizational structure in place. And so that's what I spent a lot of my time doing. And it's difficult sometimes to balance the will and the drive and the need that you have to just be out there in the trenches rescuing dogs. But you can never really forget that you are providing a service and that you need to set yourself up as an organization like that also. So Jacinta, I live in Florida, let's say, and I'm on your website and I see a dog I fall in love with. What are my chances of being able to get that dog if I live so far away? 
So, so we are a regional organization. We do not fly dogs across the country because we lose the connection that we have with the dog. If something happens, we're not able to assist. If the, if for some reason the things don't work out, we're not able to get the dog back. And logistically, it just becomes really difficult. Um, plus, you know, some of these dogs, they're finally setting into their foster home. I'm not about to ship them off on a plane on a scary ride again. So if you are in the Pacific Northwest, you can submit an application to savinggreenanimals.org. But if you're in Florida and you want to rescue a dog that um, is a good match for you, there are good foster-based rescues in every state of our country. So Google for those. So rather than going to, you know, pet finder and picking a random dog, look for the good foster-based rescues in your area. If you're pretty flexible and you don't have a lot of very specific requirements, you know, there's some amazing shelters in our in our country also that do a really good job given the boundaries and restrictions that they have. So there's there's plenty available in everyone's area. We're talking to Jacintha Syed, one of the managers of Saving Great Animals. So your corporate experience, the I don't know which part of the brain operates the, the more objective needs and skills, but that training led you to the dogs. You had to apply those skills now to saving dogs, mm-hmm. which is incredible. And I know because I see we're friends on Facebook and I I see your posts often, but I know your heart's been broken a thousand times Mm -hmm. with what you see. Yeah. And I want to know what you reach for inside yourself to keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've thought about that question because it's true. Your heart does get broken many, many times because of the things that you see. You see the worst in people, the worst side of humans. It's it's difficult. It's difficult to swallow. And I think depending on what day that you ask me, I will have a different answer to this question. (laughs) Some days I think, well, I, I keep doing it because the animals need me. And other days it's because I would feel guilty if I didn't. Or it's because my my compassion and my empathy is so deep for these animals that I can't let it go. But I think ultimately what it boils down to is just the life knowledge that the feelings that you feel on any given day are not necessarily going to be the feelings that you feel the next day or the day after that. Mm-hmm. So on the days where I'm at my wit's end and I feel like I want to quit and I just want to cry and not do this anymore then I can step outside of myself and say, tomorrow will be a better day. So don't give up now. If you want to give up, that's okay. But wait, just Mm -hmm. wait, wait for this feeling to pass, balance yourself again, and then see how you feel next time. And and I've come close to wanting to quit many Mm -hmm. times, you know, where I've said to myself, this, I can't do this anymore. My heart is broken. I'm exhausted compassion fatigue is a very real thing. And many people in the rescue world suffer from that. But knowing that my feelings are temporary, and that the next day or the next week, there will be a situation where suddenly the sun shines again, or suddenly my, you know, I run into a situation where you experience something wonderful, because there's a lot of wonderfulness in this work also. I mean, the people that volunteer for us and foster for us when there's a dog in need, All I need to do is raise my hand and say, hey, I need help with something and 10 people will volunteer. 
So there's also those good things. And sometimes all you need is to wait it out. That keeps your hope in humanity, right? Your faith in oh, humanity. Oh, for sure. They- if there wasn't that element, yeah, yeah there there would be no way. You, you cannot go through life just seeing all the worst of people. Um, thankfully, I also get to see the greatness of people. I was reading about your outreach and you don't have a shelter, right? You operate with uh, Strictly Foster? Yes. We've debated this whole shelter idea, gosh, from the beginning. You know, it would be nice to have a space where we can help more animals, but at the very core of it, we're a foster-based organization because we believe that that is best for the animals. Animal control shelters or just shelters in general, I consider it dog warehousing. We're warehousing animals because we don't know what to do with them. And when a dog is is in a situation like that, it doesn't behave the way it normally would behave. They're stressed out, they're anxious, they're all discombobulated, they don't know what's going on, and therefore, you don't see the real animal. They're not showing their best self. When you place an animal in a foster home, it has an opportunity to relax, to decompress, to learn to trust and feel comfortable. And so you allow that animal time to heal. And I think shelters don't often allow that healing time. They do their best, of course. Yeah, but they, the healing they time do. isn't there. And then on the flip mm-hmm. side of that also, you know, our job is to make families with people who are looking for dogs. And so our slogan is the right home for the right dog. Kind of like the match.com of the rescue, <laughs> right? <laughs> you have a dating site. Truly, for it's, dogs, it's kind of like right? a dating site. And I think that when people look for a dog, there are so many variables to consider, but ultimately we want you to have the right dog, you know, because mm-hmm. dogs that are not right for you will end up back in the shelter system or being given away for free on Craigslist or dumped on the street or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's in everyone's best interest that we make a really good match. But when you have a dog in a shelter environment, it's really difficult to make a good match because you don't know the real dog. You haven't seen what that dog is like and what they need. And, you know, you don't know if this is a a couch jumper or a yard digger or a resource garter or high energy, you know, needs a five mile walk every day. You don't know. (laughs) And so foster homes genuinely are the best way to go. I realize, though, that given the volume of animals in need, in our country alone, let alone the rest of the world, purely doing foster-based rescue is just not feasible. It's not logistically possible. But in that little corner of the rescue world that we've carved out for ourselves, we believe that this is the the best way to go. I want to ask you about a particular dog. Mm -hmm. You see the horror of human behavior. Mm -hmm. You see the worst of things. But wasn't her name Penny, the dog (laughs) that, that came from out of country oh i think you mean the pepper pepper yes. i'm so I'm, pepper. Oh, whoops yeah. pepper 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 i like that name penny though yeah Penny. Penny. Good pepper <laughs> that was an extraordinary story yeah now tell us a little bit about pepper because i saw her reborn with you yeah that was an interesting journey and so rewarding for me so pepper was a dog that originated in south korea south korea unfortunately is a country where the dog meat trade is still very active and many dogs find themselves at the pound and then the pound sells the dogs to the dog meat trade it's just not a good situation so we we partner with a rescue there called empathy for life And they are just amazing. They rescue dogs all day long and they take them into their facility in South Korea. And sometimes, you know, they get dogs that are so broken, that's so broken 
And given the volume of work that they do, they don't always have the capacity to help those dogs heal. And so I had learned about Pepper several years before she came to us because Mrs. Kong from Empathy for Life would post on her Facebook page about this one dog who would sit in the corner of her doghouse and literally hadn't moved for years. And she couldn't touch her. She would never come out. This dog was just so shut down and she was this little heap of bones, very skinny, pressed up against the back wall of her kennel and that was her life. And so every time I would see her, I would think, oh, I wish I could do something to help her, but I'm not over there. So I was trying to give them instructions on, you know, how you can start building trust with this dog. But again, you know, the sheer volume of dogs that they're dealing with just didn't allow for that. So then in 2019, I think it was, Perrin, who is the founder of Saving Great Animals, and I decided we were going to take a trip to Korea to go visit Empathy for Life. And I was so excited because I knew I was going to get to meet Pepper in addition to all the other dogs that, that we had talked about in the past. And so we got there and we found Pepper, you know, in her doghouse, pressed up against the back wall. And we couldn't actually even reach her. I mean, the doghouse is pretty big and she was all the way in the back and I didn't want to like crawl in there because I didn't know how she was going to react. We had to take the roof off the doghouse. And (laughs) once we took the roof off, you know, there she was, this little bundle. And we gradually and slowly started to work with her there. She actually escaped from her kennel while we were working with her the first time ever over a period of years that she had been outside of that kennel. And she just started running around the facility, just terrified and just like the devil was chasing her. Anyway, long story short, we decided to bring Pepper to the U.S. because I knew that she wasn't going to make it. You know, she would have been condemned to life in a kennel there. And eventually she would have died there, never having experienced the life that was possible for her. So we brought her over and then the process of rehabilitation began. And it took, gosh, Mm -hmm. I can't remember, maybe six months. Yeah, I watched your Facebook post about Mm -hmm. her and saw how... Your volunteers were working yeah, with her. Yeah, I tried her. to kind of narrate the story on Facebook. But yeah, we started out with just having shifts of volunteers three to four times a day, just sitting in her kennel with her doing absolutely nothing. The volunteers would read books or play music or just do work on their computer because she needed to just get used to being around humans and understanding that being in the vicinity of a human being wasn't going to kill her and that we weren't there to hurt her. And so, yeah, from then on, we stepped it up slowly, slowly with a touch here and there, a look here and there, taking a treat from our hands, learning how to be on a leash. That was a whole, a whole thing in and of itself. I saw you, Jacintha, I saw, I saw a video you posted when you took Penny outside on the grass. Pepper. Pepper. <laughs> a Penny. Penny. Good dog, Penny. Good dog. Pepper. And, you know, I just cry thinking about it, but it's joyful tears now. Oh, I cried too. Because I saw how you brought her back to life. We started out with small walks. Once it, It took probably a month before she was able to tolerate any kind of leash pressure. But once she tolerated that leash pressure, that leash became her door to the world. And she started realizing, wait a minute, when I have this leash on, there's a world outside of my kennel and I want to learn about this world. She was super curious, scared, but curious. And so we started up walking down the hallways in the building and then in the reception area. And then I would take her to the door and open the door a little bit to the outside and she would sniff 
And then the big day came. I had like three leashes on her because I was terrified that she was going to spook, you know, with all the strange noises outside. Three leashes on her. And finally, I took her outside and, you know, I bawled, honestly, when when she finally (laughs) was walking on a leash and she was outside and she started to sniff. And it was magical. Did she find her forever home? She did, yes. One of the volunteers who visited her very frequently kind of fell in love with her. Um, And I was secretly hoping that one day they would say, you know, maybe we should just keep her. We're talking with Jacinta Sayed of Saving Great Animals. Think about the effort of that one dog Mm -hmm. and the, the time and the energy and devotion to healing one dog and how worth it it is. I just can't imagine the job in front of you on a daily, weekly, monthly basis when there are so many dogs that need homes. And there are certain breeds we're seeing in shelters. Oh, yeah. The pit bulls, of course, mm-hmm. right? Is one of, What are the others that you're seeing a lot? At the moment. That have been overbred. At the moment, shelters are overflowing with huskies, German shepherds, pit bulls, and chihuahuas. Those are the four breeds that for some reason, people are really attracted to them, but then don't realize the challenges of owning a dog like that. And put them back in the shelters. They don't see any choice. They weren't trained. They didn't have the education yeah. ahead of time yeah. to know what kind of dog was, was best for them. <laughs> you ended up being a foster fail yourself a few times, <laughs> Jacinta, with uh, a dog named Daisy, That's right. who was a rescue, who's now living lucky to be living with you. I hope she thinks that she's lucky. <laughs> oh, how could you? I've seen pictures of her on your sofa. I, I, mm. I, I think she's very lucky. I saw her one day. Um, we get these awful lists. They're called youth lists, euthanasia lists. Um, and we get them from the, the shelters that we partner with. These are animal control shelters and they run out of space and dogs end up getting euthanized. These shelters send out emails frequently with their red listed, youth listed dogs. If you can help these dogs do it now because they are scheduled to die. And so I received uh-huh. the usual list from the Modesto Animal Shelter in California and Daisy was on that list. And there was something about her blocky goofy face that just really spoke to me. Um, And her story was kind of sad. She had lived on a chain her entire life, a six foot chain outdoors, never been an indoor dog. She was very damaged emotionally, physically. She had the the chain embedded in her neck. She had part of her tail missing. She was skinny, oh, so skinny. And so I said, I'll foster her. I'm really drawn to the really broken ones. I mean, I don't know if that says anything about me, but I'm really drawn to the broken ones. There's so many dogs that pass through my hands that are sort of happy-go-lucky and, hey, I'm here, you know, find me a family. And I'm like, ah, you'll be fine. You don't need me. But Daisy was one that that needed me. And um, so she was picked up from the Modesto shelter and she came to my house and she, she was just a wreck, you know, from, from, from beginning to end, she was a wreck. She was afraid of everything. And yeah. Did you but say she, she was a pit bull? Yeah, mix? she's a 95 yeah. pound pit bull mix. Well, she yeah. wasn't 95 it's, pounds when she came to me. She was like 60. Yeah. So she was severely underweight. She's a lucky dog. And I know you're lucky to have her. We're talking to Jacintha Syed, one of the managers of Saving Great Animals. And we'll, we'll put a link to this organization on our social media. I don't know how you find it in your heart to not want to kill these people, the abusers. I I mean, I know 
it's heartbreaking. I've seen it myself in my other career, the worst of human beings. What's the happy news here, Jacintha? The good news is there's a lot of good in the world and that's what you need to focus on. I say this to my children all the time when they complain a lot and they have negativity. Your brain is a supercomputer. If you program it with negative negativity, negativity will come out. So you have to look for the positive things. That's the good news. There's a lot of positive stuff that goes on in the world and we are helping a lot of dogs. And then I also think that, you know, as as terrible as some situations can be and you think, oh my God, that person is terrible. How could they dump their dog at the shelter? And that's unforgivable and dogs are your children. I think that we must always remember that we need compassion for humans too. There are many people that are genuinely evil beings, right? Like the lady who put um, little tiny puppies in a box wrapped with soundproof material and kept them in there for 11 weeks until they came to us. Those are the people I have no compassion for. But there are also people who have such struggles in their life. You know, we recently had a dog surrendered to us by a lady who was suffering from severe mental health issues, and she just wasn't making it in life. And she was in no position to care for her dog. And, you know, some people would say, well, how could you give up on your dog? That's that's not a nice thing to do. She did the right thing. She absolutely mm-hmm. did the right thing. And yesterday we received three of the most gorgeous puppies you've ever seen. You saw them on my I saw them. Oh my God, they're Um, brown labs, brown chocolate labs. These puppies came from an undocumented worker who lives out in Yakima and his dog had an accidental litter and had these three puppies. And he held on to them for almost four months because he didn't want them to go to bad homes. He didn't want to dump them. He didn't want to bring them to a shelter and endanger their lives. And when we picked those puppies up, he cried. He really, he cared Mm. for those dogs. And those dogs were in good condition. Their their coats look good. They're at a good weight. They are friendly. They are happy. He just did not have the resources and found himself in this situation that he just couldn't maintain. He did the right thing. And I have a lot of respect Mm. for people like that. And so there's Mm. always two sides to every story. And so whenever I walk into a situation that on the surface looks like a pretty crappy situation. There's something in there that you must look for that, you know, that compassion for the human aspect also. A lot of broken people too. For sure. A lot, so many. Yeah. A lot people. of, a lot of broken people. And and it's a good reminder mm-hmm. because one of your first visceral responses when you see something like that is to condemn and judge. Of course. And our society today is all about condemning and judging, right? We have so many armchair warriors sitting at home on their social media. You know, somebody do something about this dog. This is not good, you know, and why are you putting your dog on Craigslist? Well, have you tried to help? Have you rolled up your sleeves and tried to step in? What have you done for society lately? What have you done to help this person get out of the bad situation that they're in? All that I can offer in this moment is to take care of their animal. But there are other ways where some of these people need our assistance. So we we must never forget to be compassionate in every aspect of life. Jacinta, what is your best advice for people who want a dog in terms of like how to select the right breed, mixed breeds, how do you match people? I know that's a longer story probably than we have time for, but what I'm saying is, 
What are the critical things that people need to know when they come in to get a dog? I think in a nutshell is you have to, just like when you're dating people, you have to not fall in love with the first person you see. You have to think about what is my lifestyle? What kind of dog would fit well into my life? A lot of people begin their dog search with, huskies are so cute, I've always wanted a husky. I'm going to go to the shelter and get myself a husky. Or I really like how little Shih Tzus look. They're so cute and adorable and I like their scruffy faces. Well, there are plenty of Shih Tzus that are not very nice. I always say to people, stay away from this going only by the way the dog looks or I only want a lab, I only want a golden retriever, I only want a Labradoodle. Look for the dog's temperament and figure out if that temperament fits with how you live your life. If you are away from home for eight hours a day and you want a husky, that's not a good idea. I got an application yesterday. We have a husky for adoption. Her name's Alice. She's stunning. Such a lovely dog. I get an application from a very nice guy. He lives in an apartment in Ballard. He works eight hours a day. And he mm. was the typical, I've always wanted a husky. And then he goes, mm. but don't worry, I live a very active lifestyle and I go hiking every weekend. Well, that's really wonderful, but what's the dog supposed to do in your apartment for eight hours a day when you're not home? Huskies cannot thrive in that setting. So really think about what I need and what will help a dog thrive in my setting. That's it. Perfect advice. And I want to end this incredible conversation with this amazing woman and tell you, Jacintha Syed, I think you are uh, an angel on earth. Save one dog, save them all. One dog at a time. And for people who are interested in learning more about Jacintha's organization, it's Saving Great Animals. We'll put links, as I said, on our social media pages. They need good people to match with good dogs. And I just thank you for being who you are in this world. I already looked on your website and fell in love with like three dogs. Unfortunately, yeah. I already have two. That's easy to do, right? You know, how can you not look at those faces? That's the way to find the dogs is to go to your website. Mm hmm maybe talk with somebody who's fostering that particular dog that people might like. That's right. Like that little Chihuahua dachshund guy. Oh my Barney. gosh. Oh my heart. Barney <laughs> was his name. I want Barney I so bad. He's from a hoarder. They had oh, dozens and dozens of dogs in yeah. their home. And um, so, yeah, he's, he's no longer living in a pigsty. Oh, God, God bless you. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. Jacintha, I love you. Yeah. Savinggreatanimals.org. SavingGreatAnimals.org. Yeah. Go there, be yeah. there, mm -hmm. and help them. Jacinta, Jacinta thank, thank, you. thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate your support so much. Thank you, sweet woman. Thanks for your time, Jacinta. Keep up the good work. Bye. We're a couple of dusty muffins. Hey, a footnote here. A couple of dusty muffins is all glued and tied and soldered together. And made it sound so smart because of our production director, Clem Daniel.